0: Friends, let us pray. O Lord, our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Our Old Testament passage this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 through 9a. Hear the word of the Lord. Shout out! Do not hold back! Lift up your voice like a trumpet! Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover them, and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. There once was a group of seminarians sitting together in a classroom, passing around a plate of cookies to share. They were wonderful cookies, warm, fresh, gooey chocolate chip cookies. As the plate went around the room, there were sounds of, ooh, yum, going around as those who took cookies from the plate began to enjoy them until the plate got about halfway around the room, that is. A loud, forlorn-sounding voice clearly said, Oh, they look so wonderful. They smell so good. But I can't possibly have one. I'm fasting, you know. It's really not that hard for me to fast, except when tempting cookies like these are around. I really wish I could have one of these cookies, but spiritual discipline and all." And the room grew awkwardly silent, as the rest of the students tried to assess if the guy was joking or not, because they had all read Matthew 6.16, which says when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Surely, more than a few of the other students were beginning to wonder if this guy had skipped that piece of the Gospels, or perhaps he'd missed today's passage from Isaiah 58. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. It turns out that the guy was not, in fact, joking. He was simply very misinformed about or chose to ignore what the Bible has to say about fasting. He thought he was fasting as a spiritual chore of some sort. He was looking to score brownie points with God. But when it came down to it, he was fasting for the sake of his own pious image so everyone would know just how miserable he was making himself for the glory of God. He wasn't fasting as a joyful response to God's goodness and as a way to grow closer to God and find God's will and plans in the world around him. He was fasting because in his mind there was some sort of merit in misery for God's sake like those who Isaiah quotes as saying, why do we fast but you do not see? Why humble ourselves but you do not notice? He was not fasting to find God's work in the world around him and for the sake of others and the mission of the gospel. And because of that, fasting for him felt like an empty chore. As one of the commentaries I read this week put it, religious ritual when unaccompanied by social action, is self-serving. It is empty. God, through the prophet Isaiah, tells the people that their ritual fasting does not lead them to better behavior after the fast. It doesn't lead them to treat their neighbors, their workers, and the other people they come into contact with any better than they did before the fast. Therefore, their fasting is not actually worshipful. It's not pleasing to God to just fast for the sake of fasting or to just go to church simply for the sake of going to church. We see this idea in the work of John Calvin, the theologian who's generally credited with being the father of Presbyterian theology. He talks about worship as something that starts on Sunday morning when we get together for this hour, Give or take, depending on how long winded your preacher gets. I promise I've never led a Sunday morning service that went over two or three hours tops. But it doesn't stop there at the benediction on Sunday morning. There's a reason that this is called a service. Calvin calls worship the work of the people. This is just the beginning of our week of worship. When we walk out the doors this morning, the work begins. When we walk out the door, that is when the worship service really starts. Isaiah is certainly not telling us that fasting or prayer or study or corporate worship are not important. He's telling us that when they don't change who we are, how we live, what we do, they're empty and selfish. And they're too important to take so lightly that we don't change as a result. Jesus gives us a great charge into this dynamic way of being faithful disciples, forming a vital community in our gospel passage from Matthew 5, 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste... How can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. About five or six years ago, We woke up in the wee hours of the morning, maybe around 5 a.m., to a pounding on our back door. Now, we have a tiny little alley behind our house with no parking. So the only people who ever pound on our back door are family or neighbors. So we answered the door very quickly because it was 5 in the morning and it was the back door. And we assumed we had a neighbor with an emergency. And when we answered the door, sure enough, there stood one of our neighbors, shivering at the door. It was one of those good old-fashioned wind chill of negative a million Pittsburgh January nights. The neighbor said, I'm so glad you're home. There's water pouring out of your garage. I think you had a pipe burst. He'd been walking home from the bus after a night shift and had seen the river coming out of our detached garage and immediately banged on our door to let us know so that we could turn the water to the outside off. Now, I know he was tired after his night shift. I'm sure he wanted nothing more than to go home and go to bed. And it wasn't his water pouring out all over the alley, running up his water bill, but he made sure to let us know about the problem. Can you imagine if he had just gone home and ignored it? If he had just seen our messy disaster and not done anything, that would be like putting the light under a bushel or having a salt shaker that's been emptied or sealed shut. Knowledge without action is nothing. It's worthless. It doesn't help anyone. Knowledge without action is not true discipleship. It is empty, pointless, fasting, There are often emphases and subtle points that we miss in Scripture, in the translation from the Hebrew or the Greek into English. And we see a good example of one of these instances in our passage in Matthew. When Jesus says the word you in this passage, it's not you as in you specifically, person who is reading this. It's you as in yins. Jesus is talking to the disciples as a collective. They are a city on a hill, not individuals each on their own hill. They are many lights shining together. It is not one light alone. It is a light that shines light to an entire room, an entire home. One grain of salt in your soup does not make much of a difference, but a few shakes of salt with many grains then you know your soup is salted. What a great message with which to start off our time together, my friends. This is an exciting new season that we are entering together. It might feel overwhelming at times. It might feel hopeful and grand at others. And yet at other points, it may feel frustrating or uncertain But here's the encouragement. When we are tired, or unsure, or frustrated, we have one another to rely on, and to point out God and the world around us. And in a way, today, your immediate church family has doubled. We have partners at another church just down the street, partners in ministry. Together, we can be salt and light to our communities, both Zwickley and Emsworth, as well as a light of hope to other small churches trying to figure out how to do ministry in a culture that is largely suspicious of Christians. And when things are going great, and I promise you we're going to have some wonderful times together, when things are great, we have all of our brothers and sisters to rejoice with and with whom to proclaim God's goodness. We have partners in the very difficult ministry of sharing the gospel with others in word and in action. Sometimes small churches can feel lost in the shuffle, or tired, or like we don't have enough resources. But we are called to this fast, this service, this way of life, not alone, but together. Together with one another in this room, Together with our brothers and sisters down the street in Emsworth. Together with our brothers and sisters in all of the churches in our local presbytery. Together with our brothers and sisters in every church in this area and in this country. And surely with every church around the world. Because Jesus says, "Yins are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. And he says it knowing that it is not usually easy and it's going to stretch us out of our comfort zones, but that we can absolutely come together and live it out. Isaiah's true fast is possible when we come together to serve those around us. One of my favorite philosophers, the great Captain Jean-Luc Picard, is that I just found all of my fellow nerds sitting around the sanctuary. He says that things are only impossible until they're not. Friends, with God we embark on a journey to do the impossible. But it is only impossible until it is not. And scripture assures us that all things are possible when we draw our strength from God. This is not just a weird time in the life of this congregation, as I'm sure many of you have noticed this is a weird time in the life of our country as well. And the message of freedom, love, and justice in Jesus is necessary now more than ever in a divided and angry world. We'll be spending much of our time together these first few weeks and months exploring how we as a church family can be salt and light in our community. That is the sort of fast, the sort of worship, that God cherishes and honors. Let's not be the people in Isaiah crying out to God, we're worshiping, but you don't hear us. Let's not be all, all, all knowledge and no action. Let us be worshiping always with our mouths and with our hands and with our feet. Let us be action fueled by knowledge and filled with the Holy Spirit and the confidence of God's own children. Today I challenge you to take one small, little bitty first step into this. I know that these sound like big, grand plans. I know that that sounds overwhelming sometimes. So I want to step back a moment and give us a concrete first step toward this huge charge that Jesus gives us in Matthew 5. Now, if you look at your bulletin, you'll see that there are things we do to prepare our hearts for the Word of God. Things like the congregational introit, the call to worship, the prayer of confession. And there are things we do after the Word is read and the sermon is proclaimed. Our responses to the Word, which include our declaration of faith, our sharing of our tithes and offerings, our celebration of the Lord's Supper, and then there is a sending. This is very purposefully called a sending in our liturgy. We aren't ending the service there. When I proclaim the charge and the blessing, I am sending you all out into the world to continue your worship and your service all week long, So, all I'm asking of you this week is one tiny change in perspective on what the end of the church service is. At the end of our time together this morning, I will say the benediction and I will walk to the back of the sanctuary because that is where the snacks are. And I will shake hands and say hello and learn more names. But I want you all to keep in your minds that that is not the end of the church service, it's just the beginning. May blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.